Usually, I like being in plenty of time to things. I hate being late. Especially if I'm paying for it. I don't want to be late. But a few years ago, we were going to the cinema, Lauren and I and the kids. I put up an article. Uh, and we were already running late uh, when we get stuck in a traffic jam just outside of our club. So when eventually we got to the cinema, I, I dropped off the, the, Lorna and the, the girls to run in and, and buy their tickets and all that kind of stuff when I went and parked the car. So by the time I'd done all of this, the movie had already been running about five, ten minutes. So I missed the start. Now, it was a kid's movie. I think it was something like Despicable Me 2. So it wasn't the most intellectually taxing movie in the world, okay? But still it was horrible sitting there having missed the start of the movie. I felt that I just didn't have the whole story. I had to try and work out who was who and what was happening and why it was happening. It just didn't really make as much sense as it would have if I'd been there at the beginning. I don't know if that's happened to you, if you've missed the start of something and it just doesn't ever feel right. You feel like you always have to try and catch up. You have to try and work really hard at working out what has happened or why things are the way they are. You struggle to kind of fill in the gaps of what you missed at the beginning. And sometimes, if you're in that position, you might jump to the wrong conclusions and actually misunderstand the whole story. The beginning of a story is really important. And so this morning, we are going to go back to the beginning. To the very beginning. Right back to Genesis chapter 1. Can't believe in all of the time that we've had church here for the 14 years or so, 13 years, we've actually never looked at Genesis chapter 1. Or so we're going to look from Genesis chapter 1 over the next few weeks. Genesis chapter 1, maybe <coughs> the, 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 the next few chapters as well. Just the early uh, chapters in the book of Genesis. And we're going to try and understand some of the foundational truths in God's story. So this morning we're going to read. We're going to read this amazing chapter. Genesis chapter 1. Down to uh, chapter 2 and verse 3. Now we're not going to be able to look at all of the detail this morning. But I just wanted to read it all as, as a one So we can get the whole overview of these amazing words. So Genesis chapter 1. And verse 1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning. The first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. And there was evening. And there was morning. The second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered in one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so, God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. 
And God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees in the land that, that bear fruit with its seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And it was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be light in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years and let them be light in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights. The greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them, set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on, on the earth. To govern the day and the night. And to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, there was morning. The fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in the likeness, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth. And over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them. And said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and to all of the beasts of the earth and to all of the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. And there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This amazing passage answers some of the the biggest and, of course, most controversial questions 
in our world today? How did the universe get here? Is it really just through a big bang and billions of years of unguided and random processes? How did life originate? Was it just a chance combination of molecules? What is the origin of all of the different species that we see in the world today? Did they evolve through genetic mutations and environmental pressures? What does it mean to be human? Are we just the result of one branch of that evolutionary tree? No more, no less important than any other organism. Now, of course, many people today would ridicule the answers given here as the ignorant myths of a primitive people. Even some people who call themselves Christians are embarrassed by the early chapters of Genesis. They try to ignore them or excuse them away or even just reinterpret them. But this morning we believe that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. And so we're going to study this passage of the Bible like we study the rest of the Bible as God's word. As the inspired and inerrant word of God. Revelation of God to us. However, we do need to accept that there are difficult to understand aspects and issues in this passage. Over the years, I've read some really amazing books covering these kind of topics. And I've listened to wonderful talks and and debates by some really incredibly intelligent people. So I'm very aware of how inadequate I am to, to talk about this subject. So if you have questions that I'm not answering, go and ask somebody else. No, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> Come and ask me, and I'll try and either answer it, or go and study it and try and give you an answer, or more likely point you in the direction of a good book or a good website that you can investigate that fully yourself. But even if we don't have all of the answers, this passage can help us to lay a solid foundation for our faith. So we're going to spend a few weeks on this passage. This morning I'm going to try and look, have a kind of big picture look at this, this chapter. And then in subsequent weeks take out some of the details and look at that in a bit more detail. And try and answer some of the other questions. But the first thing I just want you to notice is this. This passage says that there was a beginning. Now these days, the major scientific view is that there was a beginning to this world. But it wasn't always the case. For years, a guy called Aristotle, his view was that the universe was eternal and that is what dominated scientific thinking. This world has always been here. It wasn't until something like the 1960s that it became popular to accept the idea of the Big Bang. That this universe originated from a singularity, a single point that's infinitely small and hot and dense. Something like 13.8 billion years ago, so they say. But the Bible? The Bible has always declared that there was a beginning. 
Very first book of the Bible. Very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning. This universe is not eternal. Time and space began. When John Lennox who is an amazing mathematician, a professor of mathematics, and and speaks a lot about these issues. He made this point in a debate with the well-known atheist Richard Dawkins. Dawkins wasn't impressed. He claimed that since there was a beginning, there either was a beginning or there wasn't a beginning, well, the Bible had a 50% chance of being right. So he didn't think it was a big deal. But for us, it is a big deal. For us, it's another encouragement that although scientific understanding changes and develops, for some of you might know that I was a scientist before, many years ago. And it changes and it develops. But God's Word doesn't. God's Word doesn't change. So when the common wisdom of the day contradicts what the Bible says, I would encourage us all to stand confidently on on God's word. On the truth of what God says. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. So this world had a beginning. But what is more controversial among Christians is... When was that? When was the beginning? And as I say, Christians even disagree on this. Usually based on how they understand what, it, what, what the Bible means by these days of creation. Probably the simplest, but also the most ridiculed these days, is that the days of creation, the six days of creation mentioned in Genesis chapter 1, are actually six 24-hour periods. Days like we know days to be today. And so, working from the family lists in the the Bible, it works out that the the world looks around 6,000 odd years old. Or slightly older if we allow for maybe the possibility of gaps or compressions in the genealogies, the lists of families. Other people, they say that these days are the order of creation. So it happened in this order. But it doesn't describe the time that it took. So they point out things like, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. So Genesis chapter 1 allows for the world to be millions or billions of years old. But it happened in these six kind of time frames. Some even go from this this idea, to then go to what's called theistic evolution, which I'm sure some of you have heard about, that God used the process of slow and gradual change over millions of years to create all of the the species in the world today. Still others believe what is called the framework view of this book, of this chapter. Now this passage is not trying to describe the chronological order of the way that God created the world. But just as a kind of logical look at how, the structure of how God created the world. That it's not supposed to say day one happened, then day two happened, then day three happened. 
Now, when you come to these kind of issues, I think what we need to agree to do is to be gracious to each other. That we might have a differing understandings of this chapter. So, please don't fall out over this. Okay? No food fights later on uh, afterwards. As Joan reminded us, unity is so important, isn't it? And that goes beyond just our understanding of these kind of passages. But I know some of you are going to ask, well, what do you think, Andrew? So I'm going to tell you, because I know you're thinking about it. For me, although I'm not really big into saying, oh, the world is exactly so many years old, I'm not, I'm not big into that. I do think that the intent of this passage is to say that this world was created in six 24-hour periods. That's what I think the, the natural reading of this passage is. Genesis 1 and 5 says there was evening and there was morning the first day. And although I know that's before the sun and the moon was, was, was there, that's later on, day, day, day 4. And yet, I think that's the way we're supposed to understand what, what, what this passage is saying to us. And then also in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, it uses these days as the basis for the law of the Sabbath. In six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. And so Moses tells the people, God tells the people through Moses to rest on the seventh day. And I also don't understand, I don't see how billions of years of death and decay can fit in with what the Bible says about why in this world there is pain and there is suffering and there is struggle and there is death. For example, Romans chapter 5 says this, Sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. So we'll look at that in more detail when we get to chapter 3 eventually. The reason why this world is so messed up. And the Bible says that the reason why the world is so messed up is because us, mankind, we've messed it up. And then also Jesus. Jesus pointed out that human life was at the start of this world. Mark chapter 10, verse 6, he says, At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Not billions of years later, after creation, but at the beginning of creation, God made humanity. So I'm, I'm open to correction. I'm not claiming to be infallible here at, at all. And I'm not blind to the problems that this causes. Okay, my head's been twisted all sorts of directions this week as I've been distracted when I've been working away with different YouTube videos and different discussions and all of that. So I understand how difficult and complex this situation is. But this is what I think. This is what I think the Bible is saying. And I do just love it that there are Christians today who are working within the scientific field to present scientific evidence that fits in with what I believe the Bible says. That shows the world is much younger than many people are claiming it to be. So that's what I believe. But let's set that to one side for a minute. Because however long the beginning happened ago, 
What is clear from this passage is that when the beginning was, whenever it was, God was there. In the beginning, God. So this passage describes the beginning of time and space. But it doesn't describe the beginning of God. He is distinct from his creation and he's pre-existent to it. The Bible declares clearly that our God is eternal. Listen to this in uh, Psalm 90. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God was always there. Which is a question that some people think that stumps Christians. Oh, if you think God made the world, well, who made God? Ha ha, got you there. But the Bible says God wasn't made. He was always there. In fact, one of my favourite truths that encourages me so much is in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. It says that God chose us in Him before the creation of the world. Before this world, this universe ever existed, God thought of you and me and chose us to be his kids. Doesn't that blow your mind? Spend years trying to get, get your head around that one. But it's such an encouragement. So God is pre-existent. God is eternal. This world had a beginning, but God didn't. And God won't have an end. There's lots of other things this passage tells us about God. He also shows us that God is not an impersonal force. Brian will like this one. Star Wars, may the force be with you. That's not God. God is a person. God speaks. And God said... Verse 3, God said. Verse 6, God said. Verse 9, again and again, God is a God who speaks. He's the one who sees. God saw that the light was good. He names things. God called the light day. He blesses. He blessed them and he said, verse 28, and he is a God who rests. Chapter 2 and verse 2, on the seventh day, he rested. God is not the force behind this world. He is the person behind it. But we can also see that God is a fellowship here. Even although the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, three in one, is not fully developed in this chapter, it's still there. In the beginning, God. The word God there is in the plural form. And later God said, let us make man in our image. In verse 2 of chapter 1, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And throughout these days of creation, God created through the power of his word. In John chapter 1, 
I'm sure many of you know these, these verses. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Son of God, our Saviour. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Through Him all things were made. So even although this is just the start of God's story, we can see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit being revealed in this one chapter. But of course this passage doesn't just describe to us who God is. It also tells us what God has done. That God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible is really clear on this issue. This world is not the result of unguided and random processes. It is not the accident of chance. The reason why there is a universe rather than not is because God created it. He started with nothing and from it he created everything that we see around us today. Hebrews 11 verse 3 says this, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So this is God's world. He designed it. He created it. He spoke it into existence. And he sustains it with the power of his word. And so this helps us to understand why this world is here. What is the purpose of this world? I'm sure you noticed that as we read through this passage that again and again God declares his delight in his creation. And God saw that it was good. And at the end of day six God saw all that he had made and it was very good. God was pleased with his creation. I think that what this means is that the creation reflected God's character. Because God is the standard of what is good. Doesn't he? When we say something's good, we mean it reflects who God is. So as God looked on this world, he saw that it displayed his wisdom and his power, his beauty, his majesty, his splendor, his magnificence, his love and his compassion. And God rejoiced in that. Because that's why he made the world. Paul said of of Jesus in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, By him, by Jesus, all things were created. All things were created by him and for him. This world was created by God and it was created for God. To bring pleasure to him and to reveal And to magnify his glory. And this is so clear. That Paul says in Romans chapter 1. 
verse 20, that since the creation of this world's world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what, what has been made, so that men are without excuse. So nobody will ever be able to stand before God and say, God, you never revealed yourself to me. I never met a Christian. I never got the Bible. Nobody ever told me about Jesus. And God will point to this world and say, I spoke to you every day. So I think this helps us to understand how we should respond to this passage today. And just as we finish, as our time's up, and as I say, we're going to go into much more detail over the next couple of weeks, I'm just going to suggest three simple ways that we should respond to this passage today, very, very briefly. First of all, this passage should humble us. When the Lord appeared to Job in the Bible, the, the guy called Job, who the Bible, the Bible books about, Job was looking for, hoping for answers for all of his big questions that he had. Why his life was so difficult. Why things had happened. But instead of giving him answers, the Lord asked him questions. This is what he said, Job chapter 38. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. And what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Job thought he had backed God into a corner and was going to get some answers. And God simply said, Were you here when I made the world? Do you know how I did it? So if we remember that God is the one who made this whole universe with its mind-blowing dimensions and diversity and detail, then this should help us to be humble enough to accept that God is bigger and wiser and more powerful than we are. And that means it's okay for God to do things that we don't understand. Isn't it? It's okay for God to do things that we say, why did he do this? God's allowed to do this. God is able to do this because his mind, his power, his majesty is far beyond ours. This passage should humble us as we say, God is God and I am not. So don't try and take God's place. Secondly, this passage should encourage us to trust in our God. If God really made this world from nothing, is there anything too difficult for him? <coughs> Jeremiah 32, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing is too difficult for you. So why would we ever question whether God is able to keep his promises? Or God is able to accomplish his purposes? Or God is able to look after his people? If 
he really is our creator, is there anything too difficult for him? Can we ever be in a situation where we can say, well, God can't do anything about my situation. God can't do anything about my life, or this person's life, or this world, or this situation. If God really is our creator, then is there anything too hard for him? But finally, we've already been thinking about this this morning. Of course, we need to respond in praise. If God said about this world that it was very good, then surely we should as well. Now, of course, we know that this world is brutal and evil and painful and struggling and dying. We know that the world is full of sin. Genesis 3, as I said before, that will explain all of the reason behind that. And we'll be able to work out and understand the cause of that and where it all came from. But even so, even although this world has had thousands, or if you want to think, say millions, of years of sin causing all that mess, even although that is the case, (coughs) we can still see how beautiful and awesome and awe-inspiring God made this universe to be. So we should take time in delighting in the world that God created. Go up Mount Leinster. Not today, maybe. When it's a nice day. And have a look over the view. Go to Curraclough Beach. And see the beauty and the magnificence of that. Go a walk down the prom. And have a look at the birds. All the different kind of birds there. Just be marvelled at all of the diversity that God created. Stand in the mirror. And look and see what God has made us to be. The marvel that we are. He'll be thinking about it in a while. Not that we fall into the trap of many people in this world. Who Romans chapter 1 says they exchanged the truth for a lie. And worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. Isn't that what? What messes with our, with our mind when we watch these, these programs, the David Attenborough programs, you know, the guys who do an amazing job at, at, at revealing to us the marvel of this world. And then they say, isn't it amazing how this all just came about by chance? <laughs> they worship the created, the created things, not the creator. So we want to look at this beautiful world, but we won't always stop there. We want that to stir our hearts so we look at our creator. And we worship him. The Apostle John saw a vision of the throne room of heaven. Where the worship declared, Revelation chapter 4. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things. And by your will, they were created. And have their being. we've only started to have a look a brief look at this chapter so much more to come I think but I hope that we will respond in that humility and that trust and that praise because in the beginning God created